So one of the things we did do um, as part of this project around the working from home was we used the time out list of top bars and clubs in cities and we plotted where are the best bars and nightclubs for places like Berlin and Paris to see if that told us about, about what we thought would happen with office markets. And we think it's pretty good. So at some point, I could show people my maps of where are the best bars and nightclubs in Berlin, because it very much directs you as to which sub office markets in Berlin you would want to be buying offices in. You are listening to the AFR podcast. Real estate, technology, cross-border investing and the opportunities of a changing world. Let's start a conversation now. Well, after more than two years of the challenges presented by COVID, investors in commercial office and real estate around the world continue to look for some kind of clarity and, and, and to understand the future vitality of our cities. There, there's so much debate and perhaps still a shortage of hard data about what is going on right now, uh, much less what we expect to happen in the uh, years ahead. Uh, that's why I am so pleased to be joined here today at the end of May 2022 by Dr. Megan Walters. She's the global head of research at Allianz Real Estate. Now, she authored a report out of a recent study called Cities That Work um, about the office sector in European markets uh, and the cities themselves in the uh, European markets. It was featured in the latest A Fire Summit magazine. So thank you, Megan, for joining me. Thank you, Gunnar, for having me here today. So why don't we just start with how you looked at the top office markets, the top cities in 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 Europe, um, and the seven factors, as you declared, uh, that help determine the uh, relative strength of those markets. Thanks, Gunnar. Well, in your introduction, you talked about a lack of hard data. So one of the things we've tried to do in this report is build it on data. So primarily, some of those are hard numbers that we can go out and measure. We can collect data on things like, for example, passenger numbers, and other other data is built on other people's reports, for example, AT Kearney Global Cities Index. So it's a mix of both sort of hard numbers and other people's reports that we might take sections or build on, um, on the grounds that never waste a good idea and build on, uh, build on what's gone before. So the seven categories that we've looked at are things like global city status, office market size, human capital, and for things that might be things like the best student city, building on some other rankings, economic strength, where we can use things like GDP per capita as a nice solid hard number, office market balance in terms of supply and demand, which would be a very straightforward metric that we would track, technology and connectivity, which might be things like startup rankings, which other people put together, or patent applications, which you can collect from government sources. And then the final category, um, ESG, environmental, social and governance. Um, and that might be things, again, that's a mix of things like CO2 emissions are published by governments. And then some of it might be more, um, if I use the word sort of not quite anecdotal, but other people's rankings around things like perhaps social cohesion. So those are the seven factors that we looked at um, for sort of the 20 major cities across Europe. Now, w one of the things that I, I have found uh, perplexing at times is that we have what's going on right now. So we have what's going on during crisis, and then we have the question of what happens as that levels out. 
And I think some things remain the same, some things change as they go. Can you sort out when you're thinking about some of these factors, how they have changed since the beginning of COVID and, and what changes do you think will stick with us? Thanks. That's a really great question. So to start with, let's look at sort of the top five cities that we came up with, because then we can pick apart which things might have changed because of COVID and which things will just always be with us. So the top five cities that we have in our survey for the European cities are London at number one, Stockholm at number two, Berlin, Amsterdam and Paris. So that sort of ranks like the top five. So some of the things, um, places like London, they just are within many, many measures of other people's surveys, a leading city globally. It's got big connectivity, um, big draw around talent and immigration. And so you've got some factors which are going on there. The factors which are changing around COVID might be things like um, ESG in particular. So there was always an interest in ESG, but I think COVID in particular has really pulled that up everybody's radar about health and well-being um, of ourselves and of the planet, how we get to work, how we act when we're in work. So those factors are very much changed. And I think the other factor which, which has changed is location for talent retention as being a really, really major issue. And this is in part because of working from home. How do you get people to want to go to the office? So if we think about what organizations are choosing to want to continue to be in the office, very much it's the tech sector who are, as much as they have things like you might see where Apple said they were going to insist everybody went back to work and there was some outcry around that. But primarily um, it's around talent retention. So we've seen Google buying office assets in New York, London and Warsaw. We've seen Alibaba buying in Singapore. We've seen ByteDance buying in Shanghai. So this idea that tech organizations want to continue to have offices as a talent retention pool is, is very much with us. Um, things like the Great Resignation, where we've seen people fall out of the workforce. How do we draw some of those people back into the workforce? And some of that is around what is a quality and type of office space that we have in these cities. So I think that sort of some of the things which might be changing for different cities are, is it a, I don't use, is it a cool city? Is it a city that's easy to get to? Um, is it a city where young talent, young tech talent is likely to want to go? And so the, some of those cities we think will do better sort of post-COVID, whereas some cities like London simply are, just because of their weight of dominance in situations like passenger numbers, like student numbers, will probably stay at the top. And I suppose we could still argue that London is a cool city, uh, so that may be part of what's driving it. I'm, I'm curious, though. I mean, you know, over here in the States, you know, we've been hearing for years about, you know, the Brexit kind of apocalypse um, and, and what's going to happen there beyond whatever's happened with COVID and everything else. Yet it seems to be at the top of your list in terms of cities that work. Um, why are they not having more trouble? Thanks. That's, that's a great question around Brexit. And it's one that's much debated um, in the research community. Look, Brexit was a very, very difficult subject for everyone. Um, I work for a big French German insurer. And as you can imagine, it's been a difficult conversation. Um, but 
Brexit hasn't undone some of London's major strengths. It still remains a globally connected city. It has exceptional universities globally. If you're smart youngsters from North America or from Asia Pacific, if you give smart youngsters from Asia Pacific a list of cities where they'd like to go to university, London and the London universities sits very, very high up. It has one of um, Europe's largest tech startup scenes. So if you think about the big tech organizations, the vast majority of them are from North America or they're from China. So you've got these kind of two sides of the internet in terms of the world of tech. But London does well in terms of venture capital for tech and the tech startup scene. Um, and it also has an exceptionally large office market that foreign investors have always targeted. So there's a continual amount of money flowing into the office sector. And I think the thing to say is if you look at the immigration statistics post-Brexit, Immigration in the UK continues to run at levels that one saw pre-Brexit. So, in fact, that demand, uh, that draw of talent coming into the UK continues despite Brexit. And as usual, demographics seems to trump just about everything else that we can do or that we can do right or that we can do wrong. Um, if the people keep coming, uh, the values keep rising. It seems to be a pretty fundamental idea. I think that's right. And so... Um, so whether it's so when you're looking at cities and this sort of actually applies globally and you have some examples in North America, where do people want to go? Some of it is weather, some of it is taxes um, and job opportunities. So if you have cities where you have an inflow of talented youngsters, those would be cities that in the future you might expect to do well. Absolutely. Now, uh, shifting to your number two, Stockholm. Very different city, I would imagine, than London. Um, certainly, uh, my, my uh, relatives all think so, that live in Stockholm. Uh, but you, you rank it very high at number two. Uh, but it seems for different reasons than London. So why did Stockholm do so well? Yes, thanks for the question. So we ranked everything, we ranked the seven dimensions equally. Um, about half of them relate to office markets, and then some of them relate to uh, things like human capital and technology and, and ESG. Stockholm did particularly well in the office market section. So things like market balance in terms of supply and demand, it had one of the highest forecast rent growth sections. It has one of the lowest rent volatility sections. So it did very, very well in the office components of the index. And then the other part where it did extremely well was high scores in technology, connectivity, economic strength, and actually, not surprisingly, the, the ESG section helped it to become second overall. So in the ESG things, things like um, income distribution in the social cohesion, um, things like number of women in government. So Scott, Stockholm doing extremely well on, on, on all of the office measures and then particularly around technology and the ESG component. That's that's fascinating. And I, I think, you know, certainly I don't think if, if you asked someone what would be number two, I don't know if Stockholm would have been on that list. So I think it's an interesting uncovering that your study has done. Uh, I'm not surprised at, at the three and four with Berlin and Amsterdam. I mean, they continue to do very well in, 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 in Western Europe. Um, but Paris is sitting at, at number five. I, I would expect greater performance from Paris. I mean, there's so much going on there. What do you think is holding them back? Yeah, thanks for the question. So we have, um, it's no secret, you can look it up on our, on our website. So we have quite a lot of exposure to the Paris office market. So this did cause some discussion um, internally, as you might imagine. So 
Some of it is around the office markets themselves. Paris has a lot of office stock. It is one of the largest office markets um, that we have globally. Um, and it, it really comprises of two parts. You've got La Défense and you've got Paris CBD. Um, but then take it as an average, those two markets are perhaps performing in, in slightly different ways. And the two markets drags down the average in terms of some of the office scores that you have. The other part where Paris didn't do terribly well was in the ESG scores, particularly around things like social cohesion and income distribution. Um, so actually, Paris scoring sort of something like 86th on a long list of social cohesion scores, whereas places like Berlin actually scoring at things like number 10 um, and Copenhagen scoring number six. So I think there are some issues on a social cohesion basis which didn't particularly help Paris. Um, and then some of the other part was around this the two sectors that you have, the La Défense sector of the office market and the Paris CBD section. And I would say that the, the closer you are to the centre in the CBD section, the better you will do. I mean, just to sort of draw onto this, we one of the things that we looked at globally as part of post-COVID was city density as another measure, which did feed into this report. Now, one of our ideas around um, which cities would be most resilient to working from home was the more dense the city, the better, it, the more resilient it will be to working from home. Because in a high density city, you tend to have smaller apartments. Cost per square foot for both office and residential tends to be higher because you've got more pressure. It means that your office markets, the office buildings themselves, are already operating at quite a high capacity in terms of number of people per square foot. And most importantly, in a high density city, if your particular tenant becomes bankrupt, you have more alternative users of office space in a high density city. So on that basis, the two highest density cities that we have in Europe are London and Paris, both at about 6,500 6, people per square kilometre when you measure it at the 20 uh, kilometre radius. So in that sense, Paris central office markets should do reasonably well. Um, but in this particular set of rankings, taking into account things like ESG, they were sort of pushed down the ranking to number five. Just to go back a little bit to something you said a little bit earlier around social cohesion being an important factor in Paris. I mean, again, number five is not bad at all. I mean, we're not saying Paris is in trouble at all, please. Uh, just we expected more given their, their performance. But um, should we be paying closer attention to that as we assess different markets around the world? Because certainly this seems to be an issue that is getting, uh, that, that has been kind of pressed by uh, by COVID and by other factors. It certainly has come to a head, not just in France, but in the United States, certainly in England and elsewhere around the world. Um, how do you think we should be looking at it as, as investors? Yeah, thanks. That's a really excellent question. So what should, if we sort of frame the question about what should cities be paying attention to um, for continued growth moving forward, I would say that social cohesion is a topic that city governments need to address. Um, cost of housing falls into part of that. Now, I mean, there's some things around social cohesion, income distribution, that's very hard for city governments to try to tackle. But I do think that sort of governments, whether that's at more of a municipal or global um, country level, need to think about housing and how housing affects people in cities. And that for 
a well-functioning city, we need housing for all types. And without, there are some uh, locations, perhaps in some other global cities, perhaps in parts of North America, where you can see a lack of social cohesion around the level of homelessness in some cities. And, and that's not to pick on the US. Europe also have some some issues around housing. But I, I do think that as a long-term office investor, when you look at a city, you can't just look at the office market. You have to think about what is the flow of youngsters or can you get talent visas to go to those locations? Um, there will be some cities in China where the hukou system is being reformed, which allows migration between cities in China. So, you know, what is the ability for people to, for youngsters, uh, uh, global talent, to go to certain cities? And then having got there, can they find places to live? Um, so that whole question about social cohesion, mobility of talent um, is something to think about as well as more narrowly, historically, we just looked at the office markets in terms of supply and demand. There are other factors that we need to consider with cities. You seem to be making really clear, at least to me, that that these secondary factors, these factors such as affordability that you know are not necessarily something we talk about in commercial office all the time, about distribution of income, about these kinds of issues that are about you know, kind of moral issues, if you will, or social issues, they actually matter when it comes to value, when it comes to price, when it comes to viability long-term or growth. Um, I, I wish that more of our conversation in the, in the kind of social and political sphere, sphere acknowledged that reality, that this is actually economic, not just social, that it, it's both happen at the same time and are kind of hand in glove with each other. I, I think you're you're exactly right. Um, and I think one of the things that comes out of COVID is the understanding that health and well-being of people is part of the economic picture. I always find it interesting that the Fed has a twin mandate of controlling inflation and looking after unemployment. And so sort of post-COVID, uh, making sure that people were back into employment it is as much of an, an issue and a consideration as controlling inflation, which at the moment we have some very high inflation rates. But I think it's that better understanding that as society, as people, how we look after and treat people has a big impact on economic growth and the sorts of cities that we might want to live in moving forward. And everything we learned in kindergarten apparently makes uh, is important, uh, which I think is fantastic. Uh, and it, all it took was a pandemic for us to learn that. So I, well, I think yes, that's... it was a harsh <laughs> lesson to learn. <laughs> well, I, I mean, well, let's think a little bit about. Okay, so there's there's the top five, and and none of these markets should be a surprise to anyone that they are incredibly successful markets and they're good markets to invest in. Um, but beyond the top five, what are one or two that you are particularly excited about that you think might be uh, un or misunderstood gems or or those markets that people are not paying enough attention to? Thanks, Gunnar. That's a great question. Look, there's, so th well, this is kind of like a two-part answer. So some is in it, uh, a reflection of what is in the cities that work. And then the other one, I, the other report I'd like to highlight, if your readers would be interested to read it, and perhaps we could put this in your magazine next, is the Future of Office report where we look at these city densities. So I'm going to give you two answers. So... Um, Around the sort of the cities that work answer, um, the, the other ones that we particularly like were Barcelona, which comes in at number 11. Now, th the reason we like Barcelona is it's got all the long term great indicators around talent, people wanting to go there, tech startup. It's also got nice weather. It's also got nice, um, it's by the beach. So there are some other sort of longer term factors that you can't, sometimes you can't move 
cold weather countries are cold weather countries. Um, Barcelona has got a lot of ticks in it. So it's got great universities and, and a really good tech startup ecosystem. So I think Barcelona is definitely one to watch. The other one I'd like to highlight was in reverse is Copenhagen, perhaps a cold weather country. Yeah. Um, so it was it it came in um, what it came in, it came in about eighth. But the point I wanted to make was we ranked these seven uh, overall sections. So you know, office size, human capital, economic strength, ESG, tech, and connectivity. We ranked them all equally. If you decided to double the ESG component and say, we think from a long-term perspective for everything we've just been talking about around cities, social cohesion, environment, we think that's much more important. If you doubled the weighting of that one section, you'd find that Copenhagen and Paris swap positions or mm. Copenhagen would have been up in the top five. So I would say that Copenhagen um, is the other one to really have a close look at um, in terms of where we might be going in the future. I think certainly, you know, ESG leaders in general so far have not done poorly, and it, it seems that uh, they're on track. And whether you're talking about cities, you're talking about individual investors and developers, you pay attention to ESG, you, you, you hit a lot of box that, that, that lead you to success. So I think, you know, that's exciting. Barcelona, well, I, I'm looking forward to visiting uh, Barcelona soon to see all the real estate or and, and the beach would be nice as well. Um, well, what do you think are the most important uh, factors or concerns or risks that cities need to pay attention to in a post-COVID market, if we ever get to that, um, as they think about their continued growth and avoiding uh, jeopardy uh, or, or losing what they have had in the past? So I think some of the areas that we can think about is around so for cities to anticipate what to do with some of the office stock that we might have so i think there's going to need to be some quite serious city planning around what do you do with secondary office stock um some in some of the lower density cities you have a greater ability to work from home and so what do we do with some of the office stock in lower density cities how willing are city governments to allow change of use um, can some of the office stock that we have, particularly in the centres, be reconfigured for residential? Um, so I think that's really something to think about. Um, and then the other one is just generally about what sources and sectors might there be planning applications or allowances for people to come in and work. So I think it's about ensuring a continuous supply of talent into cities. And I think it's allow around allowing more mixed use right in the heart of the city. So one of the things about the working from home project is, and you can see this in London at the moment, nighttime transport is kind of heading back up to where it was. Daytime transport going to the office, maybe not so much. But if you've been working at home during the day, you might choose to go out to the bars or pubs or clubs in the evening. So something for cities to think about how to regenerate the heart of the city to allow more mixed use in cities um, and, and very much allowing uh, talent, I would just use the word talent, you really want to have agglomeration around talent pools. If you've got smart groups of young people, you want to make sure that you might have um, some technology as well as media, as well as life sciences. So can you get, can you provide enough agglomeration 
in the heart of cities for talented youngsters to come and hang out and enjoy themselves around bars and clubs. So one of the things we did do um, as part of this project around the working from home was we used the time out list of top bars and clubs in cities and we plotted where are the best bars and nightclubs for places like Berlin and Paris to see if that told us about, about what we thought would happen with office markets. And we think it's pretty good. So at some point, I could show people my maps of where are the best bars and nightclubs in Berlin, because it very much directs you as to which sub-office markets in Berlin you would want to be buying offices in. Wow. That the bar and nightclub index, uh, that's that, that's a thing. That That's really kind of interesting. But, you know, it does sound to me, as you're describing this, that, that we're talking about a, a, a rather fundamental rethink going on about what a central city is and how it works, and, and almost kind of a back to the future where we're talking about a more mixed usage of those city centers versus the separation that we really embraced in the middle of the 20th century. Um, that's pretty fundamental. When you think about I, th it. I think it is. So in the Working From Home project, we measured city density at a 20 kilometer radius. If you go outside, if you start to put a 20 kilometer circle around all these cities globally, for some cities like Brussels, you're into fields by the time you go out 20 kilometers. Whereas for other cities like Shanghai, you're still in very, very high dense locations. Um, and so the question we had for some of these um, consideration about, we were thinking about where would you continue to buy offices? We still think that you need to be in the heart of the city. So e even in a place like Tokyo, which has got 30 million people um, and widespread distributed offices, we still think the ones in the heart of the city centres will do best, regardless of the size of the city. And that's because your public transport systems funnel into the centre of cities and back to the bars and clubs and nightclubs question, that's where some of the best entertainment is to be found. And so I think for city governments thinking about city planning, I would encourage housing to go back to the city centres as much as you can. To take an example, if we look at London, you've got Canary Wharf, you've got City, you've got West End. West End is around where the bars and clubs uh, are, and we think those office markets will outperform places like Canary Wharf um, in the medium term, simply because if you have to go to the office, you may choose to go out and see some friends, go to a restaurant, do something else in the evening. If you go to Canary Wharf at the moment, there isn't a huge amount else to do in Canary Wharf other than go to work. Now, to be fair to the, the owners and, and the government that look after Canary Wharf, they're making great strides, um, looking at doing things like life sciences and other sort of new things to revive Canary Wharf. But I think that's a reflection of the understanding they do, one does need to do things to revive some of our city centres. Mm -hmm. And and it starts, I guess, with the bars and clubs, which is kind of interesting. And certainly if you think about a younger demographic, uh, and if you think about the coolness, the relative coolness of neighbourhoods and cities, I think that, that probably is a major contributor uh, to those perspectives. Well, I, I could probably, and, and we will have to do another podcast uh, about your other uh, study. I hope that you'll be willing to spend some time kind of explaining that more in detail and thinking about office markets uh, globally, because I think uh, the AFIRE uh, constituency would be very interested to hear about all of that. But in the meantime, I think we're going to have to close here. I, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Megan Walters. She's the global head of research at Allianz Real Estate uh, for spending time with me and the AFIRE podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast subscription service, such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitchers, and others. 
AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice. No content in this podcast is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included has been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE.